The following program may contain content that your kids would love to hear, but you may not want them to. Here's another idea. Oh, 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 where'd you come from? I've been walking next to you the entire time. <laughs> Frank! Frank! Where are you? Finally, he went back, and I walked by the table, and I said, How are you, Don? Nice to see you. He said, Can't you see I'm eating, Frank? What are you doing? <laughs> Frank, what the hell are you doing? Hello, hello, hello. I'm Frank, remember? The results say that you, Frank, are absolutely not my father. But my father is a close relative, most likely one of your brothers. Dad has brothers? And you know, I think I met the one that sells smoked sausage and razor blades out of the trunk of his car. My name is Frank. He doesn't uh, sell smoked sausage anymore. No, at back there. My brother.
is this like the one, the two, the three hundredth show or something? I don't know. I haven't been counting. I'm only aware of what happens now. And what's going to happen now is Catolo Chronicles and we got Babs. Babs is here soon. And we're going to have uh, some discussion, some talking about heartbreak. So stay with us. Oh, yeah, I'm Frank Atolo, the man whose name adorns the title of the show. And it's adorning it tightly. Grip all four fingers. Stay with us. Four fingers? Where'd that come to Ice Cap from Hamlet the City from Othello and into every bordello. Got a lot to tell you before old Babs comes on. Barbara Cernig is with us shortly and we're going to talk about her book and a lot of things about her. And of course she's been on before but if you aren't here, you're here now so what does it matter? Because we are here now and you are here now. A lot of stuff to catch up on because we uh, skipped, uh, we didn't jump the shark last week. We skipped to Malou. That's what we did. And, uh, you know, you got to check out when we're on and when we're not on. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not on every week. <laughs> things change. Things happen, for gosh sakes. But it's okay. You're here now if you're within the sound of my voice. If you're not, you're searching for the archives somewhere in the ether, <laughs> wherever they wind up being there. Okay, well, let's talk about a few things here. I found something. Uh, you know, I come on the show and I have these, uh, yeah, they made a little list of scratch on paper here and make a note or two about something you got to look for or get or what we're going to do. But I found something that I'm able to, going to be able to play. And, um, you know, we've done two train shows, shows about trains, shows about trains that go across um, countrysides and through mountains and uh, over hills and over dales. And uh, I always talk, I don't always talk, but I mean, I have talked many times about a trip I took back in the 80s across, uh, up the coast, up the West Coast to somewhere up there to uh, Washington. Uh, out of California to Washington. The Starlight Express, I believe that's what it was called then. I don't know if it exists any longer. But anyway, and then took a train east uh, to Calgary, going through gigantic mountains and things on the on the Canadian Pacific, or maybe it was just called the Canadian Rail. I forgot what it was called at that time, but it was a train that classically uh, went from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast of Canada. Great train, and how much I love trains. Uh, that's what we talked about. And I talked about the show here in the uh, Mighty Trains, which is on the Smithsonian Channel. It was a great, it's great, great just for the trains. I don't care for the host, but what do you care? It doesn't matter, right? Okay, well, I found while searching through my own archives here in the uh, studio and in the house and in my life, um, some uh, tapes, tapes. Do you know what tapes were? (laughs) Cassettes. Anyone remember cassettes? Let me see a show of hands. Let me see a show of elbows. Uh, the uh, these are interviews I did with my portable cassette player while I was traveling either north on the Starlight Express at Amtrak Starlight Express I think it's a Starlight Starlight or 
it was on that Canadian rail which went to Calgary back in, I believe it was 84 or 5. Whenever the... Uh, look, oh, my God, what's that? Hey, it's Barbara. Hi, Frank. Hi. Hi. I, I thought you were going to wait till I called you, but it's okay. Oh, okay. Oh, well, no, I just got out here a little early. Thought I'd check in, yeah. see what's going on. Well, we want you, we well, want we you checking in. Uh, okay, stay with me. One. Let me finish this thing I'm telling the audience. and then. We'll... Oh, no, no, you go right ahead. I'll yeah. just wait for you. Yeah, wait. Uh, well, why am I hearing myself come back? At, okay, I'm good. Okay, wait for me there. Okay, so I have these tapes of these interviews uh, uh, that were, uh, uh, that were uh, um, recorded during recorded. the... Oh, boy, I'm hearing myself talk again. I, I hate to hear myself talk once. We'll fix that. Uh, anyway, I found these tapes, and I now have a way of making uh, tapes, cassettes, to digital. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this. It's going to be fun because there were some fun interviews that went along. I talked to people I don't know. All of them I don't know. Uh, and we had some uh, great stuff. It's a cassette. Well, it's, you don't care what, what if it's a cassette. What you care about is it's me uh, from, I guess, 80... Oh, is that 87? Wow, 1987 on the Canadian Rail uh, uh, or... And maybe it's both. I don't even know. I haven't, I haven't even uh, monitored it yet, but I'm going to transfer it into digital because we can do that now in this studio. I know we're behind the times. We've always been behind the times, but you listen and you hear all the stuff clearly anyway. Uh, so I'm going to be putting that together and uh, we're going to do that. I did not tell you about that before because I didn't find them. Okay. And we'll talk about the change and we are going to find the Genghis Khan show, not the original because that's just lost. We've been on so long that there are uh, there are shows that were never recorded because they couldn't be recorded because the technology. We were ahead of the technology, and it didn't. But I did another show on Genghis Khan, and, and what is it, Genghis Khan? How you may be and possibly are related to Genghis Khan, making you related to me and to our guest tonight <laughs> and everyone else. Anyway, we're gonna get we're gonna get into that, um, and book wise, well, you know, I've made a, a plenty of notes. Let's uh, we're gonna talk to uh, Barb. I, I I have to uh, tell you that we're talking about her book, her new book, and you're gonna hear about it when we talk about it. Uh, Barb is uh, a I know call it Barb Babs. I call him Babs. I like Babs. It sounds uh, hip, and I know a lot of you people love. It like hip, but it's going to be that way, whether you like it or not. Uh, she's a, she was a journalist, and for 20 years, she tells me it's uh, two decades, what does her bio say? Well, I remember the last time I talked to her. Let's just say, uh, for the greatest times that the National Enquirer, everyone wants to go immediately go to say National Lampoon, no. National Enquirer existed. Barb Sternig was there interviewing, getting the scoop, writing things, talking to celebrities and what have you. There are two books uh, that have been available for a while about her escapades, her antics, whatever you want to call them, her adventures at the National Enquirer, which is uh, very much in the news again. And, uh, and, 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 and what's happening is real, too. It's not something made up. But we had a, a great couple of times uh, together, and then we had this adventure of finding a, a way to use Skype so that uh, she can be on the show, which she is. And the, the, uh, she, what he, she's done is 
She's written fiction, a fiction, a novel. I think it's a novella, but I haven't counted the words, but I get into all that stuff. Uh, so as a fellow, I mean, I was and still am a journalist. Still am a journalist. Uh, and, uh, uh, but, and, and also a fiction writer, so apparently we have a lot to talk about. And uh, she's here now. I, I, I hope I don't hear my, my uh, oh, wait, do you have, are you there, Bob, now? Yes, I'm here, Frank. Oh, I'm oh, here. Good. I didn't hear my voice coming back, and I, I don't want to hear that. So we want to make sure that it's just you and I talking, and we're not getting this reverberation. Great. Um, but she's here, and that's good. We could start talking now. Anyway, that's what I wanted to tell everyone. Uh, stay with us. And, of course, oh, yeah, one more thing. Uh, coming up, uh, we're still putting it together. I know everybody wants to hear it. Uh, the 23rd of April, I don't know uh, when. Wait, see, 13th. It's, maybe it's a Thursday, maybe not. It's a talk like Shakespeare day uh, in, <laughs> in the world. In the world. And uh, what we want to do is uh, we're going to have a couple of people on. I'm going to try and get through at least an hour of talking about anything we would talk about on the show as in Shakespearean English. That should be fun. Uh, so hang in there with that. Go to katolachronicles.blogspot.com and find out what's happening every week if we're here, if we're not here. Okay, here's Babs. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> well, it's great to have you uh, back again, and I'm glad you I'm wrote so this. I'm so pleased. I have, I have so much to uh, say because, you know, uh, as, my, as long as I've been a journalist and, and uh, certainly never as uh, uh, wide, widely uh, available, I mean, National Enquirer, give me a break, right? Yes. Yes, yes, it had a very, very wide circulation. At its peak, Frank, I don't know if you ever heard this, but it, it really reached 25 million readers a week. I believe. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, it was uh, due to pass-along readership. Sold 6 million at the newsstand, didn't even count subscriptions. Yeah. And then each person, was one of the uh, publishing uh, notation people, they kept track of these kinds of things, mm -hmm. uh, figured out that, uh, on an average, each person passed it along four or five times, resulting in 25 million readers a week. So it was a lot. Was uh, Mr. Pecker your boss? No, Mr. Okay. Pecker was never my boss. I left before David Pecker came there. Um, I was there during the classic era yeah. when Mr. Pope, who founded the National Enquirer, um, was the boss. We called him the, the boss. And he was 100% in charge of the paper. His decision was the uh, Bible. He decided any, anything and everything. Uh, he loved reporters. He loved editors. And so it was a, just the best possible time to be working there. Anything we needed to get a story we had it from the boss. I mean, he would stop. He would stop at nothing, really. If if we got word that something big had happened, he would instantly have a have a, a Learjet. He would have twelve reporters on board, an editor, a couple secretaries, and off we'd go and land in the middle of what was happening before anybody knew knew, knew where it was, and we'd be there getting the story. That includes when Elvis died. What was Mister? <laughs> so, Mr. Mr. Pope's background, where did he come from that he started this thing? I don't think I ever asked you that. 
What did he start from? Well, where, he where was did he come a, from? Yeah. Actually, his his he always was reputed to have mafia ties. His actually his his uh, godfather was Frank Costello, who oh. was one of the mob bosses in New York. Yes, uh, his father was in the cement business. <laughs> strangely enough, yeah. but you know, young Gene Pope did not want to. He wanted to do it himself. He didn't want to go into the family business, and so he purchased with his own money. He he didn't. His father didn't give him any money. He raised the money himself, and he bought this little kind of seamy rag in New Jersey that was just called the uh, Enquirer. Mm. Uh, and it was, it, you know, it had kind of seamy stories, blood and guts kind of stuff, you know, boy born sure. with dog's head, <laughs> new right. rings, doorbells, that kind of thing. And um, he, so he kind of kept it like that for a little while. And then he started to realize that he could have a much bigger audience with this thing. And he came up with a concept that has been part of our society ever since called point of purchase yeah. uh, uh, sales. He got the next, first, the first thing he did though, was he cleaned it up. And he decided that movie stars was really the way to go. Mm -hmm. That's That was how it could go into the kitchens and living rooms of the American housewife, you know, Mrs. Housewife. That was the audience that he wanted. So he put it in the at the point of purchase where? In supermarkets, right. where Mrs. Housewife right. went every single week. And they're still there. And, and, pardon me? It's they're still there. Oh, they're yeah. still there. Still in, there. Uh, uh, yep. Although, although they, uh, they have uh, some competition from other you know, uh, oh, ab absolutely. And certain stores won't won't have it anymore. But I don't know why. You know, I'm not privy to that mm -hmm. kind of marketing. But uh, oh, yeah, he was the first one to do that, and that's how they got that that ball rolling. So he didn't have any. Uh, he didn't have any uh, journalistic background or anything. He just had uh, daddy and the family. Yeah, I don't think he himself had a journalistic background. Um, but what he did, the first thing he did was he decided he wanted to get the greatest kind of bulldog journalist that he could. Sure. He went on a hiring spree on Fleet Street in London, where, you know, those great bulldog journalists yeah. were. And he and he lured them by moving the headquarters of the National Enquirer to South Florida, mm, Palm yeah. Beach area. And um, so he not only that, it, they would be tempted by the wonderful weather, but then he offered salaries that were twice and three times what they were making mm -hmm. on the beat over in London. And uh, and that was really true when by the time I joined the paper, uh, which was, oh, you know, the uh, paper has been going that way for maybe five or six years. 1975, I joined the paper and um, I was uh, my background was I had been the reporter and writer for Rona Barrett's Hollywood Report. So that's why Rona, they recruited me because I had contacts. Sure. So anyway, and I've instantly made my salary instantly upon joining the National Enquirer became about twice as much as the highest paid editor at the LA Times made. So, you know, it was, I thought I'd stay there six months, get a new car that I needed and yeah. that would be it. But you know what? I got so hooked on it. It was so exciting to work yeah. there. It really was. And that was a revolutionary publication moment in pub, uh, publishing. Of course, he was just, so he was just a great marketer. I mean, he had that idea: put this, put he this, and, and throw everything you can on a busy cover. Now, that's a very uh, in, sorry, I said very. I'm sorry. That is a traditionally British uh, format. And I remember when I was in Britain. I mean, I'm from before that, but I remember uh, that the busy cover. 
is is a uh, important the busy first page of any newspaper uh, is oh. you know what I'm saying except for the London Times I mean but right I mean they're all uh, there's Absolutely. a million things going on and that's good that he picked oh, that no, up that was the, and that was our brief really as reporters mm-hmm. at the Enquirer during the Jean Pope and I'm sure today too go find me a blockbuster mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that's that was our brief and so and if you got one one week. You you just kind of moved on quickly because the same brief applied the next week. You know, find me a blockbuster. Wow. So we were always on the lookout for the big story, and and uh, we worked hard at it. Really did. Okay, let's <laughs> tell everybody that. And I was telling everybody that you have two books out about your career there. So let's tell everybody yes. uh, about that if they want to hear more. I want to dedicate the show mostly to uh, romance and talking about writing. Uh, uh, fiction and stuff, uh, because you're not known for it. But here you go. Uh, yes, uh, yes. So yes. you well, well, the two books that I wrote was really frank because I didn't even intend to write any books. I was on a non-disclosure agreement for the first two years that I left, I so that, I yeah. wasn't uh, permitted to do anything. But as soon as that non-disclosure um, d- agreement was was uh, expiring, I, I sat down one day and I started to think something I'd never had a chance to do in between each story, to think about what I had done mm-hmm. in pursuit of these gigantic celebrity stories. And I started to make a list of the most exciting stories. And and I don't know, one day I just started writing one, because of Frank Sinatra I covered a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I just started writing everything about how I got these stories, the adventures that took place. And, and I had so much fun writing it that then I started to write the next one on the list and the next one. Before you know it, I, I had this, this first book called Secrets of a Tabloid Reporter and uh, my 20 years on the National Enquirer's Hollywood Beat. So that that one came out and, oh my gosh, I had a wonderful national tour with that book mm. and really uh, had a lot of fun with it and sold a lot. And And then, you know, Everybody said, we want more. I, I got so many letters and contacts of all kinds saying, gosh, we, we, we want more. We want more. So anyway, I, then I wrote the second one called yeah. Celebrity Secrets of a National Enquirer Reporter. And um, they're they're both they're still available. They're on my website, um, which is du- just my name, www.barbarasternig.com. That's and, right. Uh, and it's spelled, know, that, let me tell everybody that uh, Barbara is spelled, this, Barbara is spelled so many different ways, and I keep calling you Bab, so they don't know what to do with these people. Oh, that, yeah, that's Barbara. <laughs> it's Barbara. So it's B-A-R-B-A-R-A. Sternig is just S-T-E-R-N-I-G dot com. That's where you go that's and get those. You that's know, right. It's just like Stern, Howard Stern with an I-G at the well, end. Well, we Sternig. don't say that name around here, but let's move on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Now, I just noticed because I turned to the back of the your uh, your novel here, and uh, uh, on Chestnut Street, I didn't know about this book. Oh yes, oh yeah. This was well. That's another. You know, I had such a lovely time writing that book. My father was a was a very talented guy. He was a Renaissance man. He was an educator, and he was an astronomer, and you know, he was a World Book executive, et cetera, et cetera. But his avocation, his lifelong hobby was photographer, photography, mm. and he was very, very talented. And he had a dark room all through my whole childhood, and growing up years forever, he always had a dark room. He printed his own pictures, and then he kept these fantastic albums. 
he not only took family pictures, he chronicled the world around him. And so it is fascinating. And the, the, the pictures are all captioned so you know just what they are and who they are. And I thought, I, I, I just, when, when my father died, I rescued all those albums Good from his home. Because I have a lot of sisters and brothers, and people were plucking one picture out here, one picture out here. And I thought, I have to save these and do something with them. So I, I, I brought them home, and I just went through the albums, and I, 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 I kind of you know, bookmarked about 200 of the photographs. And I just wrote down not only my own childhood memories, I plumbed the minds of my aunties and uncles and my and anybody who remembered stuff from that era. And um, and I combined that with these pictures and I described our home life and what it was like. We grew up in a suburb of Chicago and how it was in those days and the pictures of the cars dad had in there and pictures of Chicago and fashion and how people lived and what living rooms and children's toys and you know just all of that and it just was such I I just can't tell you and you know what I would recommend anybody to sit down and chronicle their childhood or the early years of their family and if you possibly can do this while you still have your folks and your grandparents too if possible. Sure even if you don't Um, uh, try to get it published or anything and you do it for yourself and who's ever left and for your kids if you have kids. That's a great thing. My kids get a blast out of stuff. I'm uh, 40 something years old older than my first child Uh, so I've got pictures that go back to your time because I'm more you know uh, more a war baby than than I am anything yeah, else. Yes, yes. And and uh, they yeah. love uh, they love seeing old pictures. And they didn't know any of these people. That's what's you know, that's no. not great. You know, it's and the and styles they, and everything about the past is uh, good history. Yes. And they don't even know that world existed. You know, on the on the back cover of of uh, on Chestnut Street, I wrote just in case this is not your favorite century. Here's your chance to go back to the last one. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you know it is it's a glimpse back to a vanished time in America I do and, yeah go ahead yeah and and the kind of people that lived then and how life was lived in, in those long ago days and it's 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 really very heartwarming to to think about it yeah we are we uh gain some importance to that and I'm always uh not always but I mean I'm telling stories not just uh, to my sons and uh, people, but I'm talking about that and telling everybody, as we do here, uh, how important it is, even in terms of a culture, uh, you know, even if it's not your family, how important it is and what you could have done entire shows on what you could learn uh, about history, well, what his- history you could learn about culture and whether what happened in the world and what people did in war and whatever, uh, if you paid attention to and watch some of these movies that Pete, that you know uh, Gen Xs and millennials are against watching this stuff. <laughs> they, oh, you I know, know. And, and I keep saying, no, don't look at it that way. Look at it another way. Uh, and uh, yes. uh, there's so many great things. Hey, you know what I want to ask you before we start talking about fiction? Uh, Tell me. Uh, Mamie Van Doren. Did you hear what Mamie Van Doren said that made a lot of news? Uh, maybe no. you people out there uh, who don't know Mamie Van Doren is I, I I tell my audience to keep a notebook and then later on they can look up names and stuff because you can do that yeah. now you know uh, she was married to a band leader Ray Anthony do you remember that Ray Anthony wow it is a name I haven't heard in a while yeah Mamie yeah. who was one of these uh, uh, buxom 
dolls. Yeah. Uh, that, yep, she was a va-va-voom 50s there lady. There you go, there you go, va-va-voom. She was a va va I love that term. Uh, well, she, uh, I don't know, I guess she came out with, or she's coming out with some kind of a uh, book, otherwise they wouldn't be doing this publicity. But uh, in the, uh, she made the news because she's talking about what a horrible person Bob Hope <laughs> I mean, oh, saying the most, really? the most, the terrible <laughs> things about, and and it's you know, and I, uh, I've done shows on on uh, on Bob Hope, uh, because I, I, for the pop culture history uh, that he brought, okay, uh, to, but you know, and then I talked about this great book that someone wrote, I forget, forget the guy's name that I read called Hope, which is a great journey into the beginnings of stand-up comedians and getting out of, you know, and this guy who became, you know, a a monster comedian, a person with power and money and, and, you know. But people, uh, as generations go on, even my generation, uh, people say, oh, you don't read that. He's a guy, he was just a right wing. No, you know, they don't understand that, you know, you've got to go beyond all that and look at it. But Mamie said that, uh, and, and it's all in this book, this, this book that I've been punching uh, and promoting uh, called Hope. It's just called Hope. You, there's only one book out there, people. Go look it up. Uh, you, you should read it, dear. You should read I this book. I would be interested, yes. Uh, I, oh, my gosh. I interviewed Bob Hope at his home one time, and he gave me a lovely lunch and everything and a tour of his little mansion. Well, he actually, he doesn't live, he didn't live very far away, only maybe half a mile away from where I live, mm-hmm. although it's a rather different neighborhood. You know, he lives in Toluca Lake. and uh, the, the owned very, very, Toluca Lake. Yeah. Toluca Lake, California. Yeah, he had yeah. a three-hole put, putting green on yeah. his property, and he lived right on Little Toluca Lake, which is completely hidden from the public because the houses that surround it but I, uh, are I think Mamie's obviously, anyway. obviously got trying to sell something because the point I was trying to make was she's talking about what a horrible man he was based on the fact that he was such a womanizer. Now, and this... Uh, what goes on in the book about him is open and it, it kind of always has been open in a different kind of way because Dolores, his wife uh, knew what was going on every, all along, you know, and that, that totally. he was, he, yeah, it was yeah. Bob Hope, you know, and it's great for so many reasons to read books like that and people who become popular and can talk about things, uh, especially these days when social, social culture is being uh, rewoven. <laughs> you know? Yes, and you know, well, you know what we called that? That was called an open secret in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. An open secret. That was just like Rock Hudson was gay. That was another open secret. Right. People yeah. in Hollywood knew that, but sure. nobody talked about it. Same thing with Bob Hope and the womanizing. Yeah. Right. Uh, you yeah. know, and I, I try, actually, you know what? There's a chapter in my second book about Bob Hope, um, and, and which I tell how I interviewed him at his home, but I had, a, I had this huge story and it was really an expose of some of his womanizing. And I mean, I had very inside contacts. And yeah. so the whole story was really just dead to rights. And, you know, it had been a lead that I was given. So I got the story. So I presented the story to my editor yeah. who marched it into Mr. Pope. Mr. Pope, I happened to be in the Florida home office. He called me into his office and he read the story. And you know what he said? He said, no Barbara, 
I don't think America wants to know this about Bob Hope. That's it. (laughs) Pope Nixes Hope. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Pope Nixes Hope. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's fantastic. But isn't it isn't it something isn't it something as Mamie Van Doren is like this is this is what she's telling us? Like, you know, I mean, I don't even think, you know, kids who don't know and haven't read them, they're not gonna care, right? Yeah. And, you know, when you think of all the good he did, and I think that's another reason why that secret was kept very, very mum, because he did so much good with the troops. And well, the she, US, attacks, so he, she attacks him for that. Yeah. Yeah. She attacks him for that because she's because because she attacks him. Yeah. Yeah. She said he only did it because uh, he was able to pick women who could go on the tour with them. And he only picked the women that he could go to bed with. This is her claim, not me. Oh, my gosh. And, well, and, anyway, you know, I so know I, that is not true no. because I know of one young lady who went on a tour with him, and that did not happen with her. Well, I know yeah. that. Well, yeah. I'm sure he so. couldn't handle every woman because there were so many. But anyway, let's not talk about Bob. Let's no. okay. Let's move <laughs> on uh, to I want to talk to Babs. Uh, put, put, take the visor off, and let's talk about Babs, the fiction author. Oh, gosh. Well, I guess I think you're right, Frank. I think it's a novella because it's mm. it's a slim volume. Do and, you know um, how many words have you? Pardon me? Did anyone give you a word count? Because that's how you judge. Oh, I, I know. No. I, I don't think I've had a word count. I, sh- I, sh- I could do that on my computer because yeah. I still have the manuscript on my computer. But, but it doesn't matter. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's only 148 pages completely yeah. uh, start to finish. You can read a lot of my readers that, that so far have said they read it in one setting. Mm-hmm. They just sat down and they just yeah. couldn't stop and they just kept going because it doesn't take all that long to read it. Yeah, no, but uh, yes, well, you know, it's my first my first foray yeah. into fiction. I have a new respect for fiction writers. That is really a, a special, special type of writing because you have to create a whole world and you have to create people in it, yeah. you know, and plots and stuff. It's not like writing nonfiction where you tell what happened and you tell, you know, what, however you perceive it. And and uh, so I decided to write it, though, because I've always written poetry and I had a bunch of poems. I have a lot, many, many years of poems, but I had some that were written in in times of heartache, you know, and um, I thought, gosh, you know, maybe I could weave a story sure. around these poems and just create some characters and put these and then write some new ones. If I can just get back into that space, that mm-hmm. emotional space that I was in when I wrote those poems and write poems from the soul of this protagonist, mm-hmm. Darcy. So um, anyway, that's what I did. And I, I, I tell you what, well, it was really hard. I mean, two years to write this little book. Whoa. I kept on avoiding it because it was it was so difficult. And I could always, you know what we writers are like, you know this, Frank. We would rather defrost the refrigerator than sit down and write. Well, that's not me. Know? No, I, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an anomaly. I'm an anomaly when it comes to writing fiction or anything like that. I'm, I'm a, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I learned by doing, yeah, you're good. I, I, at least in my life, I write one book a year, uh, in, in a couple of months, usually for the past, I don't know how many years now. Uh, so I'm, I'm too prolific. <laughs> and oh, well, gosh, God bless you. That's you know, fantastic. And I've been well, a journalist and I'm still a journalist as I do it. I do other things, but uh, I'm, 
you know, I'm, I'm like, did you uh, do, I mean, when, where did the poetry come from? You were doing that as some kind of therapy or something? Uh, what were you, why the poetry? Oh, the, the poetry just sort of sprung out of my emotional psyche, you know. I've written poems about all, all kinds of things in my life. I, I, I Every time some loved one has died, everybody always waits for my mm, poem, you know. Okay. I had a young nephew that was killed in a car accident, and I wrote a poem that later my brother wrote a book, and he put my poem in his book about his son, you know. And mm. uh, But, you know, when I just write sort of sometimes poems just come to me i i'm i go to sea a lot i i i spend a lot of time on ships uh, whenever i can and, and and i'm always inspired when i'm at sea to write poems I write po- poems about nature about i don't know just things that yeah, happen yeah. and about pets and about anything really and so anyhow i did have these kind of uh, very uh emotional poems written in a time of heartbreak and so i expanded and wrote more and and uh and, and i i wove a story around them and so that's what it is that's, well that's i want to tell her is. we haven't even told them the title uh because the story <laughs> behind that too uh, uh kind of creative yes, it's called <laughs> go ahead a, a word i made up romanced that's right. romanced the that's... tale of a bad affair right romanced, and, uh, romanced is the combination of romance and, and angst. And angst. Yeah. So that's what romance is, and that's what this is about. This is about a bad affair, about a girl who uh, gets uh, back in touch, or a guy gets back in touch with a girl, and they take up where they left off uh, 20 years earlier, and blah, 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 and it all goes south quickly and then keeps going south. And, and it's about how how people can get onto the flypaper of a bad affair and get stuck in it and find themselves unable to uh, escape somehow. So anyway, that's, that's how this story kind of unfolds and, and that's what the tale is. And, and it's, but it's punctuated with poems all the way through. And um, yeah, so that's, well, that's romance. Let's, let's talk about romance. Uh, obviously uh, when you're going to sit down and write uh, uh, anything, for fiction, you're gonna you gotta have drama. For drama, you gotta have conflict. So, you know, nobody's gonna sit down and write uh, eighty words. Uh, well, you know, no less. Uh, you know, eight thousand or eight. Well, see, twenty nine. You gotta have at least twenty nine thousand words here. That's that's a novella. But anyway, uh, you know, it's drama. No matter what you're writing about or what have you. You've. Uh, why did you? Uh, where did you draw this? Uh, you in your journalism. You've talked and written a lot about people in conflict with one another. Of course, Hollywood people, divorces, uh, conflicts, and the National Lamp. Uh, Lamp- I'm always going to say that. I shouldn't do it. The National Enquirer, which is built, uh, every story is built on conflict and drama. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Well, so, you know what? I'll tell you what. People say, is it autobiographical? Well, I'll never tell. Yeah. Well, it always, they <laughs> but, all are. You know, they all are. Writers writers take things from themselves. Of course. Of course. Every, writers write what they know. So that's part of it. But, of course, I did cover Hollywood for a lot, well, a long, long time, my whole career, really, not only the Enquirer. Um, and so I, I, I know a lot of stuff that happened between people, mm-hmm. between yeah. famous people. Yeah. And, and then I, I have a lot of, you know, all my girlfriends, we would always talk about stuff. And so I drew from lots of different areas. Hollywood, you have to guess who it is. If you recognize something in there, you have to guess who it might be. Maybe you know, maybe you don't. 
And then, you know, just girl talk. Sure. To it. Sure. You know, talking about stuff that men did to women and women did to men. And and uh, so it, it all kind of congealed and came into this into this small volume. <laughs> I like the fact that uh, you did not go beyond the bounds of how you felt you wrote in terms of fiction, because we all know that's so different than writing, uh, you know, the, the rules where you have to stay in uh, in uh, in journalism even when it's national inquiry journalism uh yes, you know that's true you know uh so uh but i like the way uh you've made it simple and, and um and the character of course the narrator is the person the woman is the girl yes it's the woman yes. and it's kind of like the, uh it's so simple I, I think they should call you like you're like the hemingway of heartaches in the, in, <laughs> I love that. Oh, thank you, Frank. <laughs> you could use that. Just like Frank Catolo says, the Hemingway of heartaches, because it is, it's heavy in that, in a simple way. That even though, and that's what's great, I think, about the, uh, about letting out uh, emotional stuff more in the poems than in the prose, and the prose when you're telling the story. Uh, and, and that's yes. why... I'm, I'm sure that was, if that wasn't intentional, it was as a writer. I mean, you know, to, to break it up yes. like that. Uh, I, yes, yes. It was, and I, I didn't, I mean, you know, it, it talks about their sexual relationship without being, you know, it's not a porno novel of any kind. It's it's really about heartfelt relationship yeah. and how people care about each other and love each other. and 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 yet there's obstacles, of course. So... Well, that's, that's uh, it. That's yeah, and that's not only real. Uh, that's what makes fiction go. And let's face it, uh, and uh, Romeo and Juliet. Uh, it doesn't at all go back to Romeo and Juliet. It's love. It's sex. It's attraction. Of course. You know, it's uh, uh, that, and yeah. it's romance. You bet, it's romance. <laughs> and go back to Greek mythology for heaven's yes. sake. You know, yeah. Yeah. same thing. Right. It was ever thus. The Greeks were so uh, lame. Uh, that you know the Greek court. Remember the Greek. Well, remember. I mean, the the Greek choruses used to have to explain to the to the audience, and that's what the Greek choruses. Yes, were. the Greek exactly. And yes. People, well, they were just starting to figure out all that stuff, you know, about drama, and, uh -huh. and it was all by word of mouth, no real reading of it. It was all, you know, kind of presented as a as a play. So, so you did. It, so they, you drew a lot, a lot, and we all do. There's nothing to the. Uh, ashamed of if you write fiction everybody who writes fiction uh, draws from things they know things they see uh, observant a good fiction writer uh, but the best thing is another Hemingway thing is Hemingway said uh, a great writer is a great liar and I think wow. that makes a lot of sense in terms of fiction yes. because no matter how you uh, base it on yourself, and let's face it, autobiographies are filled with fiction, right? Well, uh, isn't that funny? And fiction is filled with autobiography. Sure. Sure. It goes yeah. both directions, doesn't it? And uh, so how much of romance, uh, uh, you know, went into you know, this? When it, when it, went when from it, your life and any number of people or the cumulative people that made one character or what have you tell us how you well, uh, went into yes that. cumulative but i think specifically from my life one one person yeah and uh and then of course you expand outward from that it, it's it becomes more than it was or it becomes more far-reaching or but yeah i i did uh, i took it from several 
You know, if you live your life, you're not afraid and you do have romances. And uh, so some some are wonderful and some don't end well. And that's just what if you're brave enough to get in again, <laughs> you know, and get right. into it again. <laughs> so, yeah, but I. I, as I say, I, I drew a lot of it from just ho- things I was privy to in, in Hollywood and covering Hollywood, experiences that people had or or things that a girlfriend or two had, more than two, actually, several. And, um, and that's how it kind of just evolved as I went along. And I think that was one thing, why it took me so long, because I, I would get stuck somewhere and then I'd really have to ponder it and let it... Uh, you know how you let things cook in your mind for a while? I, I, yeah. You don't do that when you're writing nonfiction, but you do it. I did it writing fiction. You are probably, I mean, you know, I really look up to you for your prolific characteristic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't, you know, people, people uh, approach certain things, and certainly writers approach things, uh, thinking about other writers, and you know, you always start out with because there's someone else that you read, or you know, you want to be like someone. It takes you a while to find what they call your voice when you're uh, mm-hmm. so so much into it. You already had a voice as a reporter, but uh, yes. making it a fiction, it shouldn't be uh, that different. But let me ask you this: um, uh, Were there any great women writers that you grew up reading fiction? Well, you know, I would say women writers. Let me think. Well, as a kid, you know who I loved? Who? Beatrix Potter. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I went to her she, house. Did you ever go to her she house? She was a warrior. She was really a soldier. She really was ahead of her time. Um, yeah, I don't think, I've never read romance novels, funny enough. Well, never. not. Never, ever. It doesn't matter. A lot of women one. did not write. I mean, you know, I have a lot of people tell me that I write like Jane Austen. And it's like, What? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh. What? Oh, well, of course, I, yeah, I, I take that Jane as a great Austin. compliment, mind you. Uh, yes. I'm not saying, oh my gosh, yes. Uh, but, uh, but, but there are but lots of, era, huh, Frank? yeah, uh, the women, especially the English women, uh, were very important. Uh, sorry, said very. I don't like to say very. I'm trying to get rid of very, by the way, out of everybody's, <laughs> everybody's vocabulary. Uh, oh. they, have been influences. And certainly back then, when women, there were just a handful of women writers. Do you know today, let me tell you, bring this, bring you up to date on this, because you're right in the, you're right in the, right in the groove, Babs. You're right in the groove. Today, 59% of all the fiction writers are women. Really? It's a study just done, and I have my own theories about this, but yes, women have gone to the forefront of fiction uh, uh, over the past, what, and it used to be like 10% in at best, you know? Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. And, uh, 59, to, to what do you attribute that? Uh, it's a study. You could look it up. I forgot the guy's name, a Wolstink or something. I could send you a, an article uh, that came out yeah. of uh, New York Times or something uh, about how how the uh, face of literature is changing due to women. Uh, not only the writers, but they're the editors, and some of them are running some big companies, uh, publishing. Uh, and women are, well, the women are women's audiences. I, I got a feeling, and I'd like to do find some other people uh, to talk to in, in terms of fiction uh, and publishing and stuff, uh, that uh, men from... 
uh, I guess the beginning from millennial on, maybe maybe the generation before the millennials, but I don't think so. I think it all has to do with when uh, digital technology took over. But men don't read as much, uh, and some at all. Interesting. This is a interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so, yes. And so the, don't uh, you think? I was going to ask you, don't you think J.K. Rowling has had a big influence on other women writers, too, in, as a sense of encouraged, being encouraged? I'd have to ask some of these women writers. I don't know. I, all the comments I hear about Harry Potter from literary people come from men. From men. Well, it's sort of, it's sort yeah. of, I, I would have, I thought J.K., at first I thought J.K. Rowling was a man. That's why she's J.K. Let me tell you something. Yeah. When When the small publisher got and said, you know, I think we could make something of this. They didn't want to make her, uh, put it there and make her, yeah. put her name there. Uh, so they called her JK. You know who else did that? Uh, I forgot her name too. The one of uh, the oh, 50 Shades. 50 yeah. Oh, 50 Shades of Grey. It's oh, E-R I, or E-J I, something, right? Yes, I can't think of it yeah. either. Sorry. Yeah, they didn't want, uh, so they used the initials. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, but it's, it's why not? I, I think women are more, especially when you're talking about what you might call chiclet. Obviously, they chiclet. know about that. <laughs> chiclet. But I mean, some of the, I, know. I, I, I haven't yeah. heard that one. As I like that. I'm going to write that down here. Chiclet. <laughs> and I didn't mean the chewing gum. Yes. <laughs> no one would remember that anyway, should you and I. No, they wouldn't. Um, but my favorite authors are are really mainly men, and you know what? I'm a, I'm a huge. I read history. I just love reading history. I read it all the time. I, I read very few novels, but I love Thomas Harris, and um, Thomas uh, Harris. I don't know him. Is what, what? he wrote the uh, Silence of the Lambs? Oh, oh, yeah, well, I yeah, know. Is, yeah, I don't a know. dragon. Sure. Yeah, okay. He's, he hasn't written many books. I think he's only written four, or possibly now five. Hmm. But he's he's. You know, as a writer I, and as a wordsmith, um, I love to read Thomas Harris because every time I read his books, I turn pages over because he has vocabulary words that I don't know. And I have a pretty vast vocabulary. Mm -hmm. But no, I always learn new words from Thomas Harris That's and good. he uses them so eloquently. He, I turn, I shouldn't do that, but I dog ear the pages so I can go back and look it up later. Well, it's good to learn new words. Uh, uh, I, yeah, I found... Uh, I find after years and years and years of writing things, published, not published, I mean, that's all I did, you know, uh, in all sorts of ways, any kind of writing. But I found that as I got older uh, and trusted, as I more trusted my own voice of writing, uh, the less I leaned on having a great vocabulary or anything, uh, you know, or... I know what you're saying. Keep you it know, simple, being, stupid. Yes, yeah. yes. It, it, yeah. it is so, uh, it's so amateur to, uh, people don't know that. It, how can they? I mean, look at the stuff. It, that, you, you know, know? If, you, if you overdo that, it can, it can be very pretentious. Yeah, use, use simple language. Well, that's what we did at yeah. the Enquirer, of course. Well, yeah, um, well, that's a good point. Uh, uh, and that is that everybody can understand, regardless of the complexity of the story or the characters. That's a whole different thing. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with uh, letting everybody be able to at least judge it because they know what they're reading. <laughs> exactly. Nobody yes. wants to read with an encyclopedia or, an, or a thesaurus. 
uh, next to him. Uh, do you uh, did you do you get emotionally involved uh, without the poetry? I mean, it's just a general story that lives with you when you're writing something, a novella, something of this length and breadth. Uh, do you feel uh, the uh, the arc uh, of the characters? I mean, I mean emotionally, personally, because I got to tell you something. A couple of things I've uh, written. Uh, I love beginnings and endings. First of all, I mean that's you know you can't you got a beginning and an ending, and I'm a big fan of first lines and last lines. Oh, you're so right, and you know the beginning and the ending are the easiest parts to me. That that's mm-hmm. that's the way it was with this book. I did did I become emotionally engrossed in it? Yeah. Oh my god. Why do you think I kept avoiding it? it? It was really, it was a sad story. I mean, you know, it's it's not fun. It's not just uh, going to the park and jumping around or anything. Right, but I'm saying like I, I like I like I like to, uh, you know, if it if it makes me if it moves me to tear me or whatever it is, I like that. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't just, uh, yeah, I, I you like know what it, I'm saying. I kept avoiding it at times yeah, if that's... I wanted to just have a, a silly day or something because I had to get my emotional... When I sat down to write it, I had to get into that frame of mind again, you know, mm. each time. Uh... So, uh, but yes, I think I think when you're writing something uh, that has uh, Im- impact and import, you, you can't help but have it affect you. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah even, you even if you're not... Uh, I mean, because no one can base everything on you know one person or what have you but i mean just the the, the situation and how the characters work uh, with one another still coming from things you know uh, because you should write and a lot of people say write about things you know which is not necessarily uh, you know take to be taken literally because you know no, because uh, most of the time that's not that interesting yeah exactly and and we have an imagination as writers and we have to use it you know yes you know? definitely I, I'm thinking about, I would love to write another fiction, but I have to get something in my mind. I have to get a story going. You know what I think I'm going to do next, Frank? I, I have so many poems of all different kinds, and I think I'm going to make a little volume of poems called Along the Way. Along the Way. and Because along the way, things happen, and I wrote a poem about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm just going to take the best of them and and maybe make a little another little slim volume. Well, I think that if you I have if you have a large uh, woman audience or people who know you uh, as a as a uh, uh, steadfast uh, reporter of uh, of those kind of things and many women's and starlets and stuff, uh, that um, they would appreciate something like that. But my advice after reading this. Okay. Yes. Tell me. Okay. Go deeper now. Do it again. Go Go back. Hurt, pain. Get get that feeling during the day where it's like, I I think I should just clean the bathroom today. And have that other part of you say, don't you dare. (laughs) Don't escape those things that are trying to get out. Sit down and go right and get into it to the point where you, you know, uh, you just have to do it no matter how much it hurts. Well, I think that is the soul of really deep, good writing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why I say my poems, if they help you uh, get along as an aside, if you can do things as an aside, me, I can. I I do two, three projects uh, at a time. And uh, I just, uh, 
you know, I'm I'm not afraid to fall on my face. I just I just go ahead. And and I love sitting down and doing it. So it doesn't bother me. I don't want to fix the door. I don't want to mow the lawn. <laughs> I want to sit there and just you know fade into that page. I know what you mean because um, that's that's exactly how it was with my other books too. I I just couldn't sure. stay away from them. I just had so much fun with them. This one was different. I I I know exactly what you're saying, and I'm going to remember that. Please do because I think you've uh, I think you could grow out you know grow into more stuff. I mean you've got enough you've got enough in your head that hasn't uh, been. Uh, massaged, let's say, into fiction. <laughs> and, right, that's true. It's never been, I mean, all of my whole career, I've never written fiction. So it's a new world to me, and I really would like to explore it some more. So I have to uh, work on that, and uh, you'll be the first to know, Frank. <laughs> Look, be, uh, you know, uh, be as, uh, uh, I guess what other, the other thing that people don't, well, people I talk to who write, don't realize is that you can do anything you want when you're doing fiction. And, and the worst thing to do is to start thinking of like, uh, you know, someone uh, thinking of things you're supposed to do because it's a story. They don't, uh, people don't understand the, the, uh, the, uh, the job of the narrator can change or do, you can do whatever you want. You know, um, and you could tell a good story and not go by any particular taught, Way I hate you know what I hate, I uh, hate I use the word hate too much because I don't hate like some people think I do, um, and that I dislike greatly these seminars that they give to young writers. Uh, I, I always wanted to teach writing so that oh, I you could should do that. Just tell people uh, to find themselves and not to tell them like do this or do that. There's like a couple of important things you should know, uh, and you know, writing drama and, and people don't realize people don't. Re on the other thing is this, you know, how you've heard this too. You know, how people come up and go talk to you about some part of their life or something. And they go, well, I'm telling you, I could write a book on it. I should write a book. And, and right. People say that. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. I always, and people used to say, uh, uh, you know, everybody's got at least one book in them, you know? And I yes. went, no, that's not true. <laughs> no, that yeah, would mean, exactly. yeah, it would mean well, anybody. They have, they, have a, they have a story, but it, that a story doesn't make a book. Right. You know, a story is, is in a book, but if you have a story, maybe that's just all it is, is a story. Yeah. Maybe you know, it's, it's not even it's good not enough. Yeah. And, and once you get into it, yeah. It's like, where do I go now? That's the story. That's how I tell it. I, I, well, and you know, it's it's so funny, uh, Frank. When when people uh, tell another person that you should write a book, so they sit down and they say, "I was born on June thirtieth, nineteen eighty two. Yeah, it's fifth grade again. Yeah, it, who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's been, you know that's the most important thing too, and that is that uh, uh, you shouldn't suppose, although you don't know who your audience might be unless you're working in a certain genre. You know, you have, uh, this shows that you have, uh, you have what it takes to find those people who love this stuff. I mean, heartbreak is an industry. Yeah, gosh, you know, you are so right. Well, maybe we have to have part two of romance, huh? Well, yeah, you know, you could do that or you could make them to different people and give that story, give this the other, you know, but 
you know, you'll figure it out if you really want to write it. But this thing about anybody, uh, well, let me go back to the beginning, which is like, you can do whatever you want. You're the, if you're the narrator, you know, uh, if, if you're the character, but I'd love to tell people, you don't, every time you learn something per se from, uh, from one writer who writes something and says, this is how you should do this. This is how you do that. The more of these you read, the more you say, there's no thread. Everyone writes the way they write. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You get to a certain yes. point and you go, I, look, I know what I'm doing. And you don't worry about the reader or what they're going to do or what have you. You've got your points there. You do it. And, it, and it's a genre. That's how new genres start. You know? Yes. Yes, uh, exactly. Well, you know, that is, but that's daunting. To, when you are told you can do anything you want, you can make anything you want. Well, you know, you re that takes a lot of work. I mean, it does. Well, I think you, I mean, do you usually make an outline? I th no, cannot no, believe that no. any of these great writers, Grisham, Clancy. That is Tom one of Sears. the, that's one of the great fallacies of any teacher tells you. And when I was a kid, just, I didn't know I was going to be a writer, though I liked to write things and draw comic books and I was into that stuff. Uh, the, and the, the you know teachers would do that you know you know, like out, teaching you outlines, okay? Right. Outlines, outlines take away because if you're going to follow an outline, you have lost anything that might come up. Anything that you know oh if you're not going to yes you know well you know you speaking of Hemingway he never used an outline. No, no, I mean never. You know he was a nut. He was crazy. He was he had hubris and he had all these things that he needed to be able to write, you know, and yep. the greatest things you learn, I think great things learned from him uh, that took me away from those people who taught me to do wanted me to do this that and the other thing. Anyway, I never know, wrote the outlines. I would tell the teachers, I don't know what I'm going to do till I do it, you know. <laughs> and it's like why do I have to follow this? It's it's true. You know, it's like, why? Do an outline. Because the basic story is in your head. And you don't yes, you yes. have to have the freedom to change. You have to have the freedom to go with the characters. You have to trust the characters. They tell you things. You it's not it comes to a point where it's not your book. You're just the narrator, you know? Ah. Ah. It, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. It's not your book. You are the channel yeah. for that to come. Onto the page, and uh, there's uh, and that's what's created so many different. Uh, you know, there was once there was no such thing as speculative fiction. Now it's a, it's a genre, and they tell you uh, it's a, a speculative, which is all they're doing is making academic terms for the, an, a process that is naturally yours. But it's not the guy who wrote that book and the girl who wrote that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so yep, I sure do. And the more you yeah. write, the more you do it. Your this this for your first piece of fiction is is perfect for your first piece of fiction. But it also says to me, uh oh, you know, <laughs> you get to you get to chapter twelve and you go, uh oh, Bams, yes. Bams can well, this the next one's going to be I... bigger, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny because I. I knew that uh, I, I was right spot on with the other books. And I just thought, well, who's, who will want to read this exactly? Who will want to, will anybody want to read about a bad affair? Yeah, and right. I didn't realize that the response would be what it is. Cause I think most people somewhere in their life have had one, you know, that's all they want to. They don't want to read about a good affair. Maybe it ends up good. 
okay, so you've got a good ending. Something happened, something worked out, but it was crawl. It was crawling through broken glass to get there. That's oh, exactly that's yep. a story, that's, you know. Nobody yeah. wants to read it. <laughs> Nobody. And, and talk about everybody's had an affair. I mean, when you think about, I tell people uh, who ask me about things and writing because they say, well, you write so much. How, you know, how could you keep up with it? Stuff like that. And I said, well, you know, you don't, you don't have to. Don't judge it by me. But if you just trust yourself, you know, you'll, you'll come up with what you come up with. And stop thinking of things like you just said. Who's going to read this? Hmm. What are you going to do? Get a bunch of people? <laughs> You're going to find these people? No, they're going to find you. And it, yes. this should not be in your mind at all. I, you know, you could, can't you hear how we want to get these kids together and pull their hair out? Tell yeah, them, yeah. come on, you know, because I'm well, like, just, I think you, as you say, it really is a matter of putting it down, having faith in it yourself. And then don't worry about the audience. If you know it's true, if you know it feels true and it rings, shall we say, rings true, then then just put it out there. People will, will relate to it. And it's not going to happen in the beginning. It's going to happen as you go along because you'll learn to trust yourself. You'll learn, you'll learn to like what you do. Hell, if you don't like what you're doing, what are you worried about who else is going to like it? You know, <laughs> you, you know and you've got to do it. And uh, uh, freeing people of that, I'm not saying I could free it, but I'd, I would like to be a voice that, uh, that sticks it up. You know, I got it. You know, I got, I got, I've been a professional writer for years and years, decades, and in all sorts of ways. And, and I got a thing about a seminar. There's a seminar about, oh, believe it or not, novellas. Would you like to join the, come to I'd this? I'd love to. Say, would you I like? Would yeah, and I said, I'm like, well, that'd be interesting to hear that. And then on the bottom, on the bottom. You, uh, you join up for $657 to the, to the seminars. I got, get, 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 get out of here. <laughs> it's like. You know, what are they going to tell you? What do they know? You know, the, the greatest writers in the world never, uh, the people I'm talking about who followed what they liked and what they did and what they knew, uh, they didn't care who wrote badly about them or, or anything or how many people they ever had uh, to reading it. And they never taught. Yeah, Remember those who can't do teach? Remember that when they used to say that? Those? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like... Um, well, you know... I, I something that you were saying earlier resonated mm. with me too. This this is not about writing, but it is about something relating to writing. Um, you have all these cassette tapes that have historical uh, meaning and import. Well, guess what? I have also. I have a big box of mm. uh, cassette tapes sure. of the interviews that I did with very very famous people and these were from the early years uh, my early years at the Enquirer because later uh, reporters were required to submit their interviews to um, be you know vetted by research to make sure you didn't misquote you know they would sure. transcribe it and blah 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 but at first they didn't require you to give your tape so I still have I have a tape of an interview I did with Michael Jackson Liberace I don't know Lots of, uh, even the Sinatra, I have all of that Sinatra stuff. But to those, um, are technically, do they belong to you? Because you did it that, for the National Yeah, that's, that is a good question. That's, a that's why I really haven't done anything with them. The, the, one I was, yeah, the one I was talking about is something that I own and I did. I didn't do that's it for anyone else. But yeah, I own, yeah. I, I own radio shows. I have copies of tons of things. Uh, and I am, you know, working on a documentary right now with, with some people. And I have information, but I don't. Technic, you know, they're mine, but they're not mine. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, right. Well, that's always why I've hesitated, but yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I have them safely uh, stored, you know, just in case. I don't know what well, would happen with them. But well, I found out how to. You got to. You got. They're gonna. They're just gonna crumble. The tape is not gonna oh, last. You really? know. Yeah, Ooh, that's not good. They're gonna crumble. Uh, th- there's a way of uh, making them digitally that is that you could do yourself, but we'll talk about that off, off, uh, off. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But anyway, you know, I but thought you that could was get interesting. That, but what's great that about somebody that else is has cassette tapes. <laughs> yeah, but you, you. What's great about that is that you can listen to those and draw from that to fiction. I mean, it, you know, ah, it's like true. you don't know. Like you have the thing with you have a great interview with Frank Sinatra, and the, you know, the Enquirer can always come back and go, "Wait a second, we paid you to do that, so technically everything you did with that is ours, right?" Yeah, but not if his name is Brent Hardwood, you know, and right. you you know, what I'm saying you put it as used it, uh, and you know, the energy of it or whatever, and sometimes uh, quote it. In 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 a in a conversation fictionally, you could do that. Nobody's going to find out. Doesn't matter if yeah. they do. <laughs> that's, you know? that's really true, but uh, but don't yeah, lose but them. Yeah. It is interesting, and I, you know, it's kind of a, it was shocking to look back on all those interviews, and there the there the tapes are, uh, <laughs> amazing. That's that was actually a, a a good source of sparking my memory of these getting these stories, you know. And mm-hmm. there were so many crazy things that I didn't even think of again afterwards. Because you know, in those years at the Enquirer, what we did, we just moved on quickly. Oh yeah, you never had time to digest. Mm. The, the process of Listen, what you had just finished, yeah, you know? Yeah, so yeah. you really need a, a little bit of take a deep breath time to uh, get that, which you don't really have until you leave, you when, know? So when I was, uh, when I was on a, uh, a, when I was a um, paid part of, sta- uh, of a staff of writers uh, doing uh, all sorts of things, uh, I, uh, I was the only one and I was involved in like two or three or four shows, things at a time. I mean, just uh, constantly, you know, uh, uh, writing stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I learned so much uh, from that. And, and then from creative writing. So I did, the other, I did it the other way around. I went into creative uh, stuff and then went into journalism. That, that's, ah. a, that's a weird turn, mm-hmm. you know? Interesting. Yeah. That is. That that's is. That's, I wonder, I'm sure others have done that too. Um, because, I don't know, I, I just found journalism to be such a great career. You're always in the middle of trouble, you know. <laughs> you just, you, you get dumped into the middle of whatever's happening at that moment and it's very current and, and it moves fast. But you know what I don't like about it? It's, it's not, uh, it's, it's not you per se. It's tough when you have to uh, it's tough when you're not edit- editorializing. When editorializing gets in the way, right? Uh, uh-huh. You know the old saying, uh, it, if it's a fact, it's a lie, print the lie. You know that one? Where uh, they, right. What they say yeah. about. And that's because, uh, uh, because you know, there's not a lot of you in there. You're just, a, you're just a, someone watching someone else. You're bowing to someone else. And I think writers have, you know, a good writer has their own ego and their own uh, voice, and they want that heard. So it's a it's a big change, and and I don't think you ever well, you get know, over it. Uh, there's a change in, in the teaching of journalism these days. You know what they call it today? What? Literary journalism. Literary. It's almost impossible for me to read the Los Angeles yeah. Times today because every All story right. starts out with, "It was a dark and stormy night, yeah. and I walked." up to the path and it was a terrifying feeling in the air and he heard about you know instead of saying 
A man was killed on Vermont Avenue last night by a robber wielding a gun. You know, yeah. they don't do what we were taught in journalism school, which was who, what, why, when, where at the top, inverted pyramid, you know, put the in information of the story and then expand the story into the details as you go down. But now just, they do it the other way. Yeah, it's not just that. It's how it's it's the word, the fra phrases are uh, changing uh, and what's yes. bad English, bad grammar is Oh my God, being, oh, you could go yeah. through the LA Times with a red uh, pencil. But I mean, the journalists are in the story today in which we were always taught you, right. you are not in the story. You, sure. you are reporting what happened. It's not you. Yeah. You know? I, so I that know. has changed to some degree well, today. So we agree the teachers are the teachers are ruining us and the kids oh. are you know, there I, shouldn't be an urban dictionary. There's an urban dictionary. Oh, I know, I know. And how about censoring all the words that the, that you cannot say at Stanford no. and words that are that are in the OED and everything. I'm glad <laughs> you brought that up because I want to talk to you about uh, well, let's talk about this for a second. Um because of social uh, changes and uh, things that are uh, uh, happening inside of communities of identities, which I'm all for, and you know, um, and uh, for whatever reasons, my point is this: now you have an editor. We always had an editor. I was telling this to my sons the other day. I said, you know, having an editor is one thing, and and good writers are always fighting with their editors, right? It's like, don't take that out or do this or do that. No, don't, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And the editor becomes the boss. But now the editor has a partner, and they're called professionally sensitivity readers. Oh, my God. I know. I know. It's and true. It's, there you, are, you're always going to offend somebody. I, yeah. It's impossible. I, I I don't know how kids navigate everything today, but you know, instead of having a uh, commonality, uh, this, I mean, diversity—that's the word, isn't it? But I mean, it doesn't lead to e pluribus unum. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't. These, so uh, I worry a, about. I worry about this not because. Uh, I was, you know, it, it actually says, it, it says something about writers that I, I don't know if it's, if it's, I don't know if it's good to say, uh, say that a writer would do, would write something. Remember, we're talking fiction, okay? Mm -hmm. Fiction, mm -hmm. <laughs> how that's going to hurt somebody when they read it. And uh, this is why this is important. Uh, guys like, uh, it, it's not just guys like, uh, what's his name? Raul, Raul, who's the guy with the, uh, uh, the orange, uh, orange peach, and who was that? Ron Dow Dale. What is his name? Ron Dale. I, I, I don't know who you were talking the about. The Charlie in the Chocolate Factory guy. That guy. Oh, oh, right? oh! Yeah. Who do you mean? You I, I lost know. his name in oh, my head. Oh, Ron. Yeah, the guy who is he also in Harry Potter? Yeah. No, his name is Ron. Well, anyway, the author. Okay. Yeah. Uh, basically, for uh, children's books. Okay, and mm. even. Uh, even, oh, Ralph Dahl, yeah, you mean. Yeah, that's him. Yes, right. Ralph Dahl. Mm -hmm. His estate uh, has given uh, permission for his future publications to be socialized. So people, sensitivity readers, are reading through it and changing words and names and uh, things. Okay? You know, it's the Wikipedia of literature, isn't it? Yeah, but that's, child that's stuff for children, okay? And in a certain way, 
Uh, it might be weird for a, ch- a child to even see uh, reading uh, Tom Sawyer, uh, Huckleberry Finn, and seeing the N-word and understand, what is that? Isn't that, thought that was bad. I understand that. Okay, but for kids, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, they're doing things like the word, it's not just N-words and L-words. It's not just that. It, it's, uh, it's, it's at a level of calling someone fat. Or uh, ugly. Mm-hmm. Yes, using yeah, you these can't words. use words that describe things correctly. And those, but children. But now it's catching on to greater estates of adult fiction. Uh, last week or two weeks ago, the Ian Fleming estate uh, said we're cha- we're going in with sensitivity writers, and every James Bond book. Is going to be sensitized, desensitized. Please, please. So there's the Adult. end of literature. It's like what? What? These are adults. Yes. Uh, there and 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 there's nothing in the fiction which doesn't refer to its own time. Remember how we were talking about movies? Uh, yes, exactly. Right? Yes, 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 yes. What it's about history? Time. That's called history. Yeah, and yeah, and uh, and even back then. I mean, even when we're watching the, those old, you know, they had the Hayes office, remember? Uh, there were morals mm-hmm. and yes, there were rules. Yes, and they had the Legion of Decency yes. and all of those things, too. That, you know, and they still did what they had to do, and they did it uh, creatively and got away with it. Doesn't matter, but now that everything is out in the open, uh, it's it's sketchy. Uh, and well, um, you, you know, you know, this is this really touches on something I've been thinking about for a long time because mm-hmm. I remember when Disney started to change. The fairy tales, okay? Mm. You couldn't have a bad... They had to make Maleficent into a poor victim of some kind, a Mm -hmm. victim of her childhood. Okay, you know, there was a a psychologist by the name of Bruno Bruno Bettelheim, and he wrote a a wonderful book called The Uses of Enchantment. Mm -hmm. And in this book, he describes how fairy tales, such as the Grimm's fairy tales, the Anderson's fairy tales served a great purpose in educating children about life because it showed every time, every single fairy tale had the protagonist or protagonists meet some horrible nightmare that every kid has. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The kids always found a way to prevail. And they got a lesson out of this that, yes, bad things are going to happen to you in your life, but you have to be smart enough to prevail. And things like Hansel and Gretel and, uh, you know, Snow White. You know, there's a witch in almost every single one. And now they have, you know, kind of diluted them so that they are just shadows of, of the former tale. They don't want children to get scared. But that was part of the whole fairy tale mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. You get the kid, the kid is scared. And then it all resolves. He has to go through a whole process, and it's scary. But in the end, it all comes out okay somehow. Even if it's not necessarily the happiest ending, it's a good ending. There's some terrible people so, out there, and uh, the unfortunate part about it is they're uh, they're they're uh, getting into the system and trying to change 
from the inside, and that's the most dangerous part. That's where we get into a lot of trouble. So uh, we got to go out and vote them all out. <laughs> Everybody who's listening to me. Boy, I, I, I hope know? this happens. I just hope we can turn things around and and, and get out of this uh, dark time that seems to have descended uh, on our beloved nation. I don't know. The whole world, really. I am talking to my agent the other day, and I said, look, there's this one book we need to get published, and we're having uh, for a long time now. We have all sorts of trouble and problems and stuff trying to get it out. Uh, and uh, uh, he's... Uh, um, and I said, look, let's talk about, let's do what we got to do to get do this, this, and this, and get it published. I said, if I can't get it published, I can't get it banned. <laughs> I got to get it published in order to get it banned. Yeah, that's what I said. You there? Well, that, that, that would make it, that would make it uh, even more attractive. Exactly. To some people, you know? Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to use the system too. We're talking with Babs Barbara Sternig. I want everybody to go out there. And um, uh, get to the uh, get to your interweb or wherever you get it on your phone or what have you, and go to barbarasternig dot com. Barbara, Barbara, A R A S T Sternig. Exactly, it's almost phonetic. Just like Stern with I G. Yeah, Stern I G. That's it. Look at and look at all these uh, possible books that uh, you can get. All of them, the ones that are. How much do you think? Just go back to the to some of these uh, inquirer uh, stories you did. Okay, mm-hmm. how was your relationship with editors compared to n- not you know not talking about the one the Bob Hope thing that Pope said no no you know that American is one that 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 I understand uh, you know as as once being an editor too but what uh, uh, how much of that was massaged by uh, the people who finally got it onto the page ah well that now that's that's a whole process that's not just the editor the editor was kind of a conduit to the rest of the system at the national Enquirer. so he he was he was kind of had to be all in for his reporters because they were out there and he was sitting in the office right he was waiting there to see what they got so once he got it, he would go through it lightly, and then he would pass it along. And the next person in the process was the evaluator, who evaluated for, say, like, for instance, on the first Sinatra story, I wrote 52 pages, okay? Right. The evaluator had to say how much space in the newspaper it was going to get. Right. So right. say it was going to be a double truck in the middle of the paper. Okay? That I understand. So that's so then you have to condone you have to condense it down to you know to fit in that space sure. from the evaluator it would go to the rewrite or the the writers the, you know they were they were not they didn't create the story but they took yeah. our okay. work and and rewrote it in the somewhat sensational story, uh, style of the National Enquirer. There was a definite style, as everybody knows, a somewhat thunderous language right. would be applied. It, it never appeared in the paper as you wrote it. Let's put it that way. Well, I realize so, that, but I'm, I'm wondering how much of a community uh, of, you know, is responsible for that type of... It's not just an editor, like you said. There's all this stuff and, uh, and painting and doing all these little things uh, yes. And choosing what goes and what doesn't go, right? I mean, how many times do you look? That's why you love those tapes so much, by the way. 
Yes, it is. It really is. But you know, the Enquirer was speaking as a community. It was a very tight community. Every, I'm I'm lifelong friends with my colleagues who are, you know are still around. A lot of them have passed away. Um, the older ones, you know, that sure. were had been there and had sure. been on Fleet Street and everything. But and it's sad when they go. But I'll tell you what, it was very tightly knit. We were really, really good friends. And there was a rivalry. If you were on the same team with another ace reporter, there was a rivalry. And that kind of fed into your anxieties and your action, you know, to keep it really moving. And uh, you had to. Uh, but but we were really close because we shared the same experience there we we kind of were all in that boat together and and it made us uh, quite close to each other it, it was it was really a great place to work it, it, I, it was a difficult job because mm-hmm. the outsiders that yeah. we were trying to get the stories from most of the time didn't like us sure <laughs> you know? sure let, let me ask you this it, I, 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 yeah. this is a, this is something I just thought uh, thought about do you have some kind of an archive? Of original copies of of uh, oh boy, I have one of only two extant. Yes, I have. Uh, I do. I have every single copy of the National Choir for my years there. Wow, and, and, and in plastic. How are you, how are you preserving I, them? Well, I I have them in boxes, you know, year by year. Mm, um, and the only other person that has an archive like that is Ian Calder, who was the who was the executive, one of the um, the Ivory Tower guys. He kept them in bound books. He's got sure. them in bound books. Mine are not like that. But what why we are the only two that have these is because some years ago, I don't know if you remember this, uh, some cranky person of some kind, I don't know who it was exactly, sent an envelope containing anthrax powder to yeah. the National Enquirer's home office. And one of the one of the editors happened to open up this envelope and he died. But when they realized what this was, everybody was evacuated from the building. Mm-hmm. They couldn't even take a pencil with them. And in that building were the archives. Of what the year National was that? Enquirer. Do you know you remember from, what year? Yeah. What year that happened? Pardon me? I was not there. I was not in the office when that happened because I always worked nope. in California. Oh, okay. But what year? Oh, what year? Uh, gosh, I think it was in the in the in maybe the late 80s huh. or early 90s. Yeah. That uh, yeah. anthrax wasn't exactly a popular thing back then. No, I know it. So. But, but because of that, everything in the building was destroyed. Sure. Everything... Every single thing, every piece of paper, every all the desks, everything, and uh, so that they could, uh, you know, de-poison us. It sure <laughs> detox, a detox. I think. Uh, yeah. What? So yeah, I, wow. do, I do have an archive. But you, well, that's uh, that's terrific. Uh, how do you do? You insure them? Well, uh, yes, but I I have to figure out where to where to leave these or what to exactly. I haven't got it figured out or planned what exactly to do with them. It's time to think that over there, doll. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They're in a very safe, secure place, but, but uh, even so I, I, I would like them to be preserved somewhere by people that would appreciate it. You know, I was in a documentary a couple of years ago called scandalous, the true story of the national Enquirer, And um, Hmm. I did share some of the issues with them, uh, but they wanted to take a lot more, and I just wasn't comfortable, you know. Hey, you know, uh, you're, you're not. Let me. I don't know if you want to talk about this publicly, but the, what? The, because I don't. 
and and you don't have to. I'm, what I'm thinking of is this: if you want to keep them, do you want to keep them? Do I want to keep them? Yeah. Do I want to keep the copies of the National Enquirer? Yeah. Well, I haven't really thought about it. I just am keeping them. You know. But do I want here, to? That's here's just the deal. Here. Yeah, I know. Here's the deal, though, uh, and that is, I'm sure uh, that the uh, the Smithsonian would take care of them, and they do belong in a place where almost anyone could somehow, uh, I don't, people aren't going to put their hands on them and read them or some, but you know how they're presented. Well, they that, could. Uh, they would probably microfiche them in some way yeah, you, or whatever they do today, digitize them. That's right, and that somehow. saves them forever, and that puts your name yeah. at, in the yeah. Smithsonian, dear. And all those great colleagues, too. Yeah, if you're you not going to sell them or you're not going to do anything, and you, you, I think you can because you bought... I think you can. Those are yours. It has nothing to do with yeah, the Yeah, those National are mine. Wire. I purchased yeah. them, and, 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 I, and if the National, I, I had a subscription. That's how I was sure I would always get it and if um, they every haven't single week. And done that yet. Something's wrong. Someone's not thinking. Uh, and I think if you, you know, before you do anything, you, you might look into that. I mean, call the Smithsonian. Uh, That's a they great have, idea. I, never, I hadn't thought of that, actually. Not yeah, at all. You would be contributing something, uh, and there'd be something in there about you because you did it and who you are and why that, you know, yes. why you have it. That, a little immortality. <laughs> yeah, it, yes, and you, you know, you, you deserve it. And, uh, uh, and uh, certainly the world, uh, I mean, they don't save things in the Smithsonian for nothing. <laughs> you know, people do go in oh, there. And, no, I know, um, and there were a lot of amazing stories in there. You know, uh, there was a. I was patient when the when the um, um, Marigold production people were here when we were doing the documentary. I was paging through some of the old issues, and I found a story that just struck me right between the eyes. And it was written. Remember when Robert Blake uh, killed? I shouldn't say it like that, but allegedly killed yeah. his wife in the you know, parking lot. Did you ever go to? That? I used to go to that restaurant all the time. You remember that Italian restaurant? Oh, me too. Me too. That's my local. I live very near Vitellos. Yeah. Oh, do you? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. All the time I went. But go ahead. Uh, so anyway, but this was this story was a, that wasn't a front page. It was an inside top of the page. Um, at least five or six years before that happened. Yeah. And um, the headline was, Robert Blake admits, I'm afraid I'm going to kill somebody someday. <laughs> Which was a great uh, PR guy. You could see a PR guy doing that because he was that tough guy. You know, I'm that tough guy. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, that's and, and great. he said that in, in an interview. But, and I'm going to give credit. It was done by my colleague, Tony Brenna. You say <laughs> He's also in the, in the uh, CNN documentary that we were in. But uh, yeah, so that was, you know, people said all kinds of stuff that came true in that paper. Yeah. People, and you know, people used to, I, why I even started to uh, think about writing the first book was every time, without exception, Anybody learned that I worked for the National Enquirer, the first question they always asked was, is any of that stuff true? <laughs> <laughs> and then when I would give the one word answer, uh, then they would have invariably come up with a second question. How do you get that stuff? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a wonderful uh, little, uh, well, it's a scene. Did you ever see the movie Finding Forrester with uh, Sean Connery? 
I don't think I did. No. You got to watch this movie. Well, anyway, he is a he's a recluse writer, a guy who's a, a kind of like a catcher in the rye uh, uh, guy. I mean, he wrote one book, which you know has become this great piece of literature that. You know, and that's it. That's all he ever wrote. And he's still this mysterious figure, okay? And and he's uh, kind of becoming a mentor to some kid in the uh, uh, in the neighborhood because he lives up in the Bronx. <laughs> you know, bad. Anyway, the point is, the kid who's trying to learn from him from this from uh, sees that 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 uh, this guy Forrester, William Forrester, has his uh, groceries delivered and everything. He doesn't go out. I mean, he's just uh-huh. absolute recluse in this Bronx apartment, okay? And uh, he sees, the kid sees uh, Forrester reading. Uh, I, now, it might be, I don't know, I don't know what they used. It could have been the National Enquirer. Uh, it was one of those types of uh, rags. Tabloids, uh-huh. Yeah, if uh-huh. you'll excuse my, my you know, my, uh, my, my language. And, they, and he says, I don't understand. He says, here's a, here's a great writer. And things, you've read all these books. He, he said, what are, you, what are you reading that? And he says, and you know what he says? He says, uh-huh. uh, and, and he looks at all the books. He goes, yeah. He goes, well, well it's dessert. This is dessert. <laughs> I'm doing my Sean Connery. He said, you know, the, the literature, the, the literature's, that's the main thing. This is dessert. <laughs> There's this guy reading. I do, sir. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I get my ideas in there. <laughs> oh God, it's a, a it's a it's a wonderful movie. But um, uh, but uh, so uh, it, it's amazing to think of see how how we pigeon uh, pigeonhole people. You know, well, he's a yes, great great yes, writer. Yes, yes, it is. What would he be doing with and, a copy of that? Right? You know, it's like what? <laughs> Well, you know what people don't realize? Uh, Of course, readers of the Enquirer wouldn't have any way of knowing this, but Mr. Pope, the publisher who founded the paper, actually hired the research department of Time magazine to a person, and he brought them onto the Enquirer staff as our research department. Mm. So these were very careful researchers, and as reporters, we were required to, uh, you know, really go through a lot of uh, steps to you know, verify our information. So it it was it really was very reliable. But then it was always written in that thunderous style. So then people would think it can't be true. It's you know all that sensational talk and everything. Well, when you say but, that sensationalizing is uh, part of uh, part of that whole genre uh, of, yes, of uh, exactly. tabloid, uh, large headlines and you know that busy cover. I love busy covers. I always, when I was in England, I loved the Mirror. I loved looking at those things. Uh, and oh I, yeah, you know oh, it yeah. is they, indeed the you know, I, I think. The, I think the first week I I worked there, they had a picture on the front page of Raquel Welsh and Freddie Prinze Sr. Wow. You know, from from the man, that cute Freddie Prinze. And they were dating, or they had dated or something. And and, uh, so that that was the first, the first front page that I remember. You imagine that one date gets on the cover. Yeah, exactly. And and there were people, you know, the readers, uh, readers don't understand because they, 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 it just works on them. Uh, there are reasons why someone would be on the cover and not on the cover because they're hot, they're moving. And you get a lot of, you got a lot of information from publicists, didn't you? Oh, right? from publicists? Oh my gosh, you have no idea. Yeah, I do. And, but unbeknownst <laughs> to the, their clients. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Half yeah. the time, you know, they, those were some very reliable sources. And, um, 
you know, they 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 walked a thin line for sure, and I don't think they gave every single thing they knew. But but they would they, some of them would off off the not off the record on the record, but anonymously, let's say, sure. um, verify things that we had, and you could call them, and they would, if nothing else, they would say it was true or not. Right. But some of them actually actively cooperated with us un, under the. Under the covers, sure. You when know. it was in their benefit, when it's there, you know. I mean, let's face it. Let's face it. Uh, you were living, uh, you were working with a, uh, a, a publication that knew no press is bad press. That's correct, and <laughs> in, the the celebrities that realize that often use the Enquirer right. so to their advantage. They yeah. would get a story, and there were certain people. Phyllis Diller was one. She cooperated, and she got so much publicity in the Enquirer. Actually, you know, who else was? Burt Reynolds was, too. He he was very cooperative yeah. to the that Enquirer, and he, he was the first one that ever asked for money, too. Yeah. Right. Then the money <laughs> but, comes in, right? When the money came in. Yeah. Yeah, oh, boy, man, they were right? circling the wagons. Me? She put her kids through college on what she made at the Enquirer, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, no. But, but those that that understood that it was, yet they could shape the story if they cooperated, and they couldn't do that if they didn't. You know, if I still lived in L.A., I would take you to dinner at least once a week, and we could talk. <laughs> oh my God, we could talk, Frank. We could talk. We'd have to go to Vitello's. Uh, yeah, Vitello. Yeah, oh, the things. The uh, wow, aglioli. I always ate the aglioli. Oh God, they made oh, good. Good. Do you remember the veal carciofi? No, I always Friday ate aglioli. <laughs> That's all I ever ate. Oh my God. But I, I'm sure I ordered for other people because they weren't so Italian. Is it still there? Oh yeah. Uh, well, listen. I have to tell you the sad story after that mm. whole Robert Blake debacle. All the looky-loos came to Vitello's, and those two terrific guys, the Restivo brothers, Steve and Joe, they owned the restaurant. They were the best guys, good friends, and they finally just couldn't handle it. Joe had a breakdown, and they they sold it. Vitello's is not what it used to be. It was really a local Italian eatery, yeah. and r- remember the... The, the booths that they had, and they had like an arbor, a grape arbor mm-hmm. over over the booths. Yeah. It was so cute. That giant mural of Sicily, and and uh, yeah. you'd sit in there in the low lighting. And well, now it's it's a big deal now, and it's uh, they they have productions in, in a room upstairs, and I don't know, it's uh-huh. it's all different now. So that was a big but, thing uh, yeah, to go, you know, going. We had to, you know, people in Hollywood who were working in Hollywood, and you know, living in that. Uh, that world uh, took something to get us into the valley. And, and oh, t- exactly. Oh, my God. You know, I moved to the valley when I bought a house. A but lot of people. I, I, yeah. I think I only went there to go to Universal Studios. <laughs> and now I live about a mile from Universal Studios. Wow. Uh, that's right. Universal's in the... Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so what is the uh, Hemingway of Heartaches doing next? I love that. Well, you know, I'm uh, actually I'm getting ready to uh, go on a trip. I'm going to go to Iceland in uh, uh, some little time here, and just uh, it's going to be a cruise up there. And oh, a cruise! Around. You're taking yeah. a you're taking a boat to Iceland. 
Oh, I know. Yes, I've been there before. I love Iceland. It's so interesting. I wanted to go. Uh, I saw it from the. I saw it from forty thousand feet. I remember the, the pilot going uh, while we were driving. While we were flying to Germany, I remember the pilot. Well, there's Iceland, and you look down, and that's a weird place. You don't know it until you get there. Good. Oh, I it is a weird place. It's the land of fire and ice. They've mm -hmm. got geysers and mud pots and volcanoes and and uh, uh, all and, kinds of and, and Disney and no Disney. You know, you have all that. No Disney. <laughs> No, no Disney, and and then they've yeah. got uh, uh, glaciers, you know. So it's it's very very unusual place, and it's almost like the moon. You feel like you're in the moon. Yeah, it's strange, yeah. strange vistas and waterfalls and all kinds of strange stuff. What do they so speak? Anyway, that, what is, what language? What what, what's the language in a uh, the main language in there in Icelandic? Oh, okay. Well, I, I I wouldn't I have said so. that, but it sounds funny because nobody <laughs> speaks Icelandic. <laughs> Hey, you know what people don't realize about Iceland? That's where the very first parliament in civilization was organized, called the All Thing, in the year 800, right around the time of Charlemagne in Europe. Iceland mm. established a, a, a parliament, and all the clans would gather once a year, and they would decide the laws. And they had a, a sort of a, a president of the of the par parliament who would who would preside and, and couples would meet and marriages would be arranged. And you know, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. not, it's different. Sure. Cause that's the, uh, it's the, uh, the, the bed of civilization is way beyond the, the culture that we know and what have you. But I always thought the things that were, um, uh, that always made me, uh, wonder, uh, not that there aren't anything that doesn't make me wonder, but I, somewhere along the line, somebody said, what are we going to call this place? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what were the what were the alternatives? Iceland, a land of Iceland, right? Hey, I heard. I no, I heard that actually, Greenland is much icier. So that it's they Greenland. thought if they called Greenland, people would go there because it's all ice. And Iceland actually has some greenery, and it has all that heat and all oh, that subthermal. Of course, it's not all ice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, and, it's not all ice. No, not at all. And Greenland's uh, so, not all green. So that's like, why were they called Greenland? Let's call this Greenland. And we were going to call it Iceland, but they took it from us. No, no, no. They, <laughs> they wanted to trick everybody into going and populating Greenland, so they didn't call it Iceland. God, why? Is, <laughs> they called it Greenland. That's weird stuff, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, think it of is. it. Um, so, so, but you know, at, you know, as to the uh, the Hemingway of heartache, um, <laughs> I am well. You know, I've just been thinking about assembling the poems in some kind of order. That's that's kind of my next little intermediate project until I until I figure out another story. Well, to maybe tell. as you read them, you'll find a story in there somewhere, huh? sitting there waiting. Uh, I think so. You know? I, I really believe so. And you've got all these great places like Iceland. Not that you have to do, uh, you know, uh, description. I mean, you don't want one of those literary. You don't want a literary book. You want to write a book that just, uh, you know, run, jumps into the body and squeezes that exactly. muscle. Exactly. Yes. You know? About people stuff. Yeah. People stuff. Because you don't have characters. You don't have a story. You know, a lot of people who write... Uh, uh, and I'm not a, I'm not big on writing screenplays. I don't I don't like that uh, that form. Uh, but you know, I, I'm being in Hollywood and being around, and I did write help, but I co-wrote things. Okay, with people who did it. But kids today, a lot of the kids I know who know that I've had that experience ask me about certain things about writing and stuff, and I'm amazed at how uh, how they don't understand uh, the. Uh, you know, the character element. You don't have the character element. I don't care what you're writing about. 
you know, and I keep telling people like, uh, you know, if the Lou Gehrig story was just about baseball, it's a documentary. Who would watch it? <laughs> you know, yes. it, it goes on with everything. It's like these people are people, whether you make them up or not. And half the time, you know, that you, you can't do an autobiography that, you know, fictional no, autobiography. That's once. Yeah, exactly. But it's like how kids, uh, they don't understand. Uh, and that even, even when we were growing up, comic books start, you know, started to, uh, you know, kids knew characters and the characters were driving mm -hmm. the stories, you know, which is yep. why it wasn't important whether it was Metrop or Metropolis or Gotham City or whatever name you changed it to. And then they stopped changing it. But that's because even comic book literature moved on. But you it moved on. Yeah. Need yeah. And now I think people people on. read comic books as literature now. Yeah, the con yeah, that's a whole whoa, that's a thing that's changed. And it's influenced too many people. But you know, I can't do anything about that. I could just do what I do and hope uh, that people read it and uh, and want to read it. But that's it. And same uh, with you. Uh but, yes. But you're still traveling, and you're just what? Do you, what happens? You're going to Iceland. Let me ask you this one question. Hold on a second. What happens to Pinky when you go? Oh, to Pinky, little Pinky. Oh, she's right here. She's sitting on the chair. What happens she to Pinky when you go to Iceland? <laughs> she sits on the same chair with me, so I always have to sit a little bit forward. She's pretty small. Well, she has care. She has her own. She has another family. I shouldn't say that, oh. but but it is like another family. Sure. They love her. It's Katie and her son Anthony, and her sister Kara, and they live in a little house not too far from here. And that's they've always looked after all my dogs, even Binky, my first dog, Binky. and Bam Bam, my second dog, and little Beanie, my third dog. And now we have Pinky. <laughs> so they all go to Katie and Kara and and. Uh, they love they love my little doggies and they're so good to them. I love that when I go, uh, girls and women now and there's girls and women but however old um, and their dogs and I'm wondering what would that dog be named if, if a guy owned it you know Butch. what would Pinky Pinky wouldn't be Pinky I mean you know what I'm saying Pinky, look at the yes. look at the femininity that went into those names what Pinky Bippy Pinky what was the other one. <laughs> Beanie, little Beanie, Beanie and Bam Bam. So, and they're just they're, they're they're objects for the little girl still inside of you. I think it goes on, but but I'm glad oh. uh, they have somewhere to stay. I, oh, I just wonder. Yeah, she has some place to stay where she's happy and they're happy with her, and so I never have to worry. And she doesn't go into any kennels. None of them ever went to the yeah. kennel, so they always had another home that they were familiar with. It's very important uh, for little pet animals that are used to having sure. new attention. And they don't now. have the they don't have the same concept uh, as we do of time. So that you know, if you go away for two months and come back, it's like you will there yesterday, right? I mean. You, oh. Exactly, but at oh, the same not, time, oh, she's back. It's like, oh, there she is. Days. Yeah, what? Yes, yeah, so if if you're gone for two days, yeah. the greeting that you get is like she thought she'd never see you again. You know? Yeah, <laughs> uh, and yet it's they don't you know think about time and, and they don't have all those uh, human. Uh, no, they don't. They have yeah. more. I, I there, in one of the poems I wrote, I, I was sort of I sort of in one of the lines I expressed this about my dog. Um, was sighed and moved, and um, and uh, all boneless and free of more intelligent anxiety. 
this little sleeping dog on the bed, you know, all boneless and free of more intelligent anxiety. Yeah, they don't have that. They just are in the moment. A good lesson for all of us. Well, uh, here's what I'm going to do. And I'm leaving with your advice, and it's being documented, okay? And that is, if you're going to do the poem stuff, just do it uh, and as if it's going to tell you something so you can get back into the prose. Uh, yes, uh, I want to so much. I I have to yeah. get a, I have to conceptualize what the what the story will be and what it'll be about. I, nothing has struck me at the moment yet. Well, you know, you'll find those those two people. They're waiting out there somewhere to to get yes, to. Yes, I know that. I do know that. And I think you're right. Yeah. I will find inspiration in those poems because that's that's so many years of so many different things. You know. Sure, and, and it'll come up, and 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 you'll get uh, you'll get cracking there. And uh, when are you going? Uh, when you come uh, back? I'm going in June. In June? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, well, if we yeah. don't if we don't talk until uh, you, you get back, uh, you come back with some, come back with some stories of oh. Iceland. I want to hear. Okay, I will you, definitely do, do that? that, Frank. Uh, oh my gosh, uh, yes. It'll be, well, it'll it's be been terrific. such a pleasure to be with you this evening. And and uh, right back at you, babe. I think that uh, <clears throat> you uh, keep in touch with me and we'll be uh, doing whatever we can while you're not on the show and what have you to just remind everybody uh, to get the book and go out and get the book oh, and read it. Yeah, it's just know? on the website, www.barbarasternig.com. And you can read excerpts of all of the books on there too, by the way. Yeah, that's good. I guess. I don't know what people look for, but I know what I do, and I know what they, you know, uh, they'll, yeah, yeah, go, read excerpts, do what you got to do, read read the book. It's a good night with a glass of wine or whatever it is you drink. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, it's it's not going to, it's not one of those 600-page uh, things, you know. It's that not you Stephen have to... King. <laughs> No. <laughs> 9,990, 9, every word I know will be in this book, and tw- 20 times is- over. You know, but. Yes, and the only scary parts are actually human things. <laughs> yes, yes, and everything else is, uh, um, you know, just. But you know, don't uh, don't let it uh, don't let anything get you down. And remember, when you're sitting down, you got uh, and you're starting that idea. I hate to sound like a professor. I sound so pedantic now, but I want to tell no, you this. Talk to me. Talk to me. I want to tell you this. So when you sit down, because you have the slightest idea, and you sit down. Okay. Don't worry about uh, how it's going to come out. Uh, don't worry about anything else. And uh, give you, I'll leave you with something that gets you, uh, gets you done with however you deal with drafts or, or getting it, you know, moving. I'm going to give you another mm-hmm. Hemingway uh, quote uh, that that you take with you when you're sitting down and trying to get that story out. Are you ready? I'm ready. Spare me the details. Oh, I just wrote that down okay i love that spare me the de- that is so true and you'll get that you. is that that is the job of the editor in your brain yeah you know it. exactly yeah then you start get down to it yeah get down to it thank you bevs it's great to hear from you again and uh you know we'll uh we'll talk uh send me a i'm not gonna send me a postcard let me know what happens i don't know same touch oh, <laughs> oh frank thanks a million it's been you know? such a pleasure to talk with you and be with you always interesting anytime so you, you come back you get on again and we'll talk about every other thing and whatever you got it okay. thanks so much thank you too good night babs night night there goes Beep, how would you rate this quality of call? Okay, we'll make we'll give you four stars, Mr. Skype. Again, Barbara Sternig, uh, dot com. 
many people are into self-publishing. I've self-published a number of my things. And uh, you know my things anyway. So, okay, so forget it. So don't worry about it. There's a lot of good stuff coming out of places that aren't, you know, Scribner and Simon and Schuster and where are they? It was two guys anyway. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, Carly. I don't even know where Carly Simon is. No less those guys. Hey, uh, my name is Frankie Tolo, man. His name adjoins the title of the show. And uh, what What about next week? I know I got a bunch of things. As I told you, uh, we're going to, I'm going to work on the, uh, uh, getting some of those uh, train major train interviews of people taking those mighty trains you'll love it if it comes out okay i'm sure it'll work because i think it's uh, just a matter of time which i usually don't take uh, to prepare or put on this show i also have uh, an update on uh, on that cowboy i don't know if we'll do that i i don't know from one a week uh, to a time and uh to to another week and the national talk like shakespeare day uh which can be done anytime it, but we might do that uh, then there too uh, if we get that uh, moving somehow. My name is Frank. Frank, here's another idea. Oh, 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 where'd you come from? I've been walking next to you the entire time. Friday, he went back and I walked by the table and I said, how are you, Don? Nice to see you. He said, can't you see I'm eating, Frank? What are you doing? <laughs> Frank, what the hell are you doing? Hello, hello, hello. I'm Frank, remember? The results say that you, Frank, are absolutely not my father, but my father is a close relative, most likely one of your brothers. Dad has brothers? And you know, I think I met the one that sells smoked sausage and razor blades out of the trunk of his car. My dad had brothers. Dad had brothers? Okay, how about that, my good friends? Uh, can we move on? Do you have it? Beautiful. Thank you. Get along, little doggy. Get along. My name is Frankie Tolo, man's name joins the title of the show. Talking books, go get Barbara's books, go buy my books, Amazon, Lulu, and uh, what is it? <laughs> Blair, Blair, Blurb, <laughs> Blurb, I got Bob, I got Blurb, I don't know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and everything else. Uh, check into the, uh, uh, just check, look, we'll be back, uh, you know, as long as we're alive and cooking and the house is in one piece and, you know, we're not freezing, all sorts of stuff there. Um, that's the name of the game. Uh, good night, Mrs. Erswell, wherever you may be located. Uh, no hiding, uh, Jessica Catherine. No hiding. We're going to get there too soon. <laughs> okay. Uh, leave it alone. Here's, here's your... <laughs> what do you want to do? You want to give, want to give advice? No. It's all the same junk I say all the time at the end, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And I only say it because I said it, but now I leave you because I have nothing left to say.